Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the show. It is July 6th, and I think that's where we're going to start in terms of the minute of transparency. Uh, I'm not sure where July 4th falls for you uh, in the summer, um, but for me, it's just crazy that we're already there. Uh, And I think part of it is just the, the strangeness that we're all experiencing with the coronavirus, sheltering in place, quarantine, um, and all of that, and, and kind of the way the whole thing started, right, with uh, with the shelter-in-place orders and uh, the impact that it had on our kids and, and school, you know, back in March and April, somewhere in there, uh, around the uh, spring break time period, I believe. Uh, it's kind of different for everybody, but, you know, for us, um, having our firstborn uh, come back from college, around that time and uh, having our other two uh, have to leave school and start doing uh, distance learning, e-learning from home. It really, even though that's what they were doing, they were still finishing school, they were still, you know, completing their coursework, uh, it still did not feel like school. And so really it, it, it felt like summer started way back then. And so, you know, it feels like we've been in summer for a really long time when in essence, we really haven't. And then for some of you, I'm not sure what your fall looks like uh, related to schooling or kids, stuff like that. But for us, school does not get to start uh, immediately back the way it, it was last year. I think for uh, for our kids who are in in college, they're going to experience some of that e-learning at the very beginning. Uh, may not go back right away, and uh, I think we're still on the bubble when it comes to the high school and what life will look like there for our son. So if you're like me, this is just, it looks like it's never going to end, right? This this feeling of being at home, being middle of summer, um, you know, potentially this could be a six-month thing where it feels like we've all been at home um, doing whatever we need to do uh, to make things work. So it's been a little crazy, and I'm just kind of checking in with you to find out how things have been for you, and hopefully hopefully you're in a good place and you're able to be working from home and things like that. Uh, I, st- I still just feel so horribly for people who you know, work at places where you need to be physically there um, you know, you obviously went through that first wave where everything shut down, uh, you know, people got let go, people were furloughed, and then just as it felt like things were getting back on track and people were heading back to work, um, you know, the, the rise in the, the rates of coronavirus increased, spikes in different areas of the country, and, you know, things started shutting back down again, and that's really where we find ourselves uh, right now, 
is in this weird position of, you know, what do we do? Do we go back to the complete lockdown that we experienced before and, and throw ourselves back into that economic crisis? Or do we work through it and, uh, you know, just deal with, with what's coming, knowing that there's going to be a resurgence as everyone gets back to work uh, and gets back to their lives. Uh, but knowing that, that that's the only way that we're going to keep society from falling apart. Great questions. Don't have answers for any of that. We're obviously just going to have to see how things play out. So that's our minute of transparency for this week. Um, Let's dive in. Last week, we kind of introduced the concept of temptation in our series here called Controversy Theory, and that that is Satan's weapon in the controversy. And this week, we're going to finish things off as we talk a little bit more about temptation, some of the categories that temptations fall into, uh, and, and how we can start combating these temptations in our own life. So today, we're going to um, talk through the the fact that temptation comes in many different flavors and we're going to talk about those flavors we're going to talk about personal temptation plans we're going to talk about other temptation flavors and then finally fighting temptation so number one temptation flavors Uh, it will soon become clear that there are literally hundreds of thousands of ways that we can be tempted uh, or things that we can be tempted with you know each of us has uh, been tempted by different things. There are different temptations in our future that we don't even see coming. And this really leads us to an important piece of information about temptation. And here it is. Temptations are nothing more than Satan trying to get us to do something God had asked us not to do, or him trying to get us not to do something God has asked us to do. So let's look at an example of each. First of all, stealing. So God has asked us not to steal things that don't belong to us. But Satan would like nothing more than for us to start taking things from other people. Number two, loving others. God has asked us to put on a sense of love for other people, right? To put others before ourselves. And Satan would love nothing more for us to become selfish and only think of ourselves. So now that we have that grasp on the reason for temptation, uh, let's look at the way the Bible categorizes temptation. Uh, This will help us define what's really at the root of the temptation and what element of our life temptation is, is basically trying to attack. So there's two powerful temptation stories in the Bible. And there, there aren't only two, there's many uh, stories that have to do with temptation. Um, But there's really two Uh, that stand out and help us to understand not only the power of Satan's temptations, but also um, the categories that they typically fall into. So interestingly enough, the stories seem to mirror each other. So uh, in each story, the protagonist is being tempted in three distinct ways. So let's look at what these three ways are first, and then we'll, we'll jump into the stories. So in 1 John, uh, there's a verse that that seems to explain these three things. 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. 
So in that verse, it kind of pulls out three different areas, right? It said the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, these three things have, have for a long time been considered um, categories of temptation. So let's apply these three things to the, to the two stories that uh, we were talking about before. So the two stories are Eve, which is the first temptation ever recorded, and then the temptation of Jesus, or the temptation of a perfect being. So let's start with Eve. We all know how the story goes, right? So Satan appeared to Eve uh, in or near the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, that tree that, that God had asked them to stay away from. Um, and, and Satan appeared as a talking serpent, probably something that they had either not seen or uh, something that was really new to her as she walked by the tree. Uh, Satan offered her fruit to eat, and he explained that it was good and that it would open her eyes to what was really going on in the world. Uh, you know, that God was just trying to keep them from being like him. Spoiler alert, uh, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, their eyes were open, and the sin virus found its way into our perfect world. So let's look at the story in terms of the three categories that we talked about above. First, the lust of the flesh. So Satan appealed to Eve's physical needs, right? What her flesh wanted. He talked about the fruit, how amazing it was. Uh, that she had never had something so tasty and so refreshing, um, and that nothing could satisfy her the way that this fruit could. Next, we have the lust of the eyes. So Satan ap appealed to her senses. The, uh, the fruit was beautiful, like nothing she had ever seen. It probably smelled very good. Um, and such a beautiful creature talking to her and offering it to her had to be overwhelming. And then fin finally, the pride of life. And so, you know, in, in his final statement, you know, Satan made his real case. He convinced Eve that she would become like God, knowing good from evil, and that she would uh, reach a level of wisdom uh, that she didn't currently have. So don't take my word for it, but here's kind of the way the Bible explains it in Genesis 3. So in Genesis 3, 6 through 7, the first part of 7, it said, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and that it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So you can see right there in the verse, right? Eve saw that it was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and that it could make her wise. The three things that we just talked about. So the next story is, is the temptation of Christ, and we know from the Bible that Jesus lived the perfect life and that he did not sin. So it's interesting that the Bible gives us a specific account of the ways that Satan tried to tempt him. It can be found in, in three of the four Gospels, but we're going to use the account from Luke. So Luke described that Jesus was called or led into the wilderness in order to fast and pray. Uh, we know that he was there for 40 days, and we know that Satan used this time to wear him down and to try to get him to sin, to test out temptation on him. So Satan tried three different approaches, which will start to sound familiar here in a second. First, Satan tempted him to turn rocks into bread, and with him being um, on a fast, he was very hungry, 
and potentially in, in starvation mode. And so that would have been a very tempting uh, situation to be in. Second, Satan tempted him with the power and position, offering him rulership over the entire world if he would just bow down and worship Satan. And then finally, Satan tempted Jesus to test God uh, by jumping off a cliff to see if God would save him. So I took a lot of this information from um, a website called reasonsforhopejesus.com, and I'll put the link in the, the show notes, uh, but it's just a, a kind of a summary of the temptations of Christ. And so that link is there if you want it. Uh, but some interesting takeaways from the temptation stories, both Eve and uh, the story of the temptation of Christ. Interesting that Satan tries to wear us down um, before he even hits us with the temptation. So in the story of Eve, you know, we don't know this for sure, but there's a chance that she was hungry and, and Satan probably already knew this. There's, there's also a chance that he waited until she was away from Adam, uh, you know, so that she had didn't really have the support system that, that God had given her. And then finally, he waited until she had already made a bad decision by walking near the tree. You know, I think, you know, when God told them about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he probably said, you know, just don't even go near it. Don't even go around that part of the garden. Um, but obviously, she had decided to, to walk near the tree. So in doing this, you know, he knew that she had already been primed for temptation. In the story of Jesus, again, he was hungry and weak. Uh, it doesn't say, you know, when Satan did his tempting, but my guess is that he probably waited until, you know, day 35, you know, when, when the hunger pangs were really starting to set in. Uh, and that's when he really began to lay it on thick about the rocks and the bread thing. Next, uh, the three categories of temptation seem to impact three very important pieces of our humanity. So... The lust of the flesh is obviously a physical temptation, right? It appeals to our physical needs, our fleshly needs um, and desires. The lust of the eyes um, is a worship temptation, right? It's trying to get us to move from sincere worship of God to worldly um, or token worship in our life. And then finally, the pride of life <clears throat> is a uh, trust temptation. So, you know, suggesting that we forego our trust in God and, and instead do things on our own, um, tempt him or test him in some way, and to put trust in ourselves over him. And finally, these stories help us see what we can do to combat temptation. Uh, we'll spend a bit more time on that toward the end of this episode. Number two, personal temptation plans. So controversy theory at its core is really an explanation uh, as to why there's pain and suffering in the world, right? It describes the battle between God and Satan, and that because of the sin virus, our world is no longer the perfect place that it used to be. We've talked about how the sin virus impacts the physical environment and that the earth is slowly dying just like we are. But at the same time, Satan is working to get each and every one of us to join him in his rebellion against God. Now, important, before we go on any further, uh, we need to admit something. We don't fully understand the role that Satan plays in temptation and the role the demons play, right? However, it is commonly believed that Satan is not able to be in more than one place at one time, the way that God is. If this is true, assuming it is, 
uh, it suggests that there is no one way for Satan to tempt every single person at the same time. In fact, it suggests that the demons are most likely the ones doing the tempting and that Satan is more of a supervisor. Or maybe Satan supervises demons on certain level, but then he takes it upon himself to do the heavy lifting. So maybe Satan is the one tempting kings, presidents, and high-level entertainers or other social influencers, people that he really knows uh, will have a big impact um, based on the temptations that he puts in front of them. At any rate, just understand that Satan and his demons are working together and they're up to no good. In fact, controversy theory suggests that temptation has become a very personal matter for Satan. So personal, in fact, that he and his demons create personal temptation plans for each and every person. Now, let me give you some context. Uh, Back when I was a clinician, uh, we had a very specific process for working with a new patient or a new client. Uh, The first thing we completed was a PSA, which is a psychosocial assessment. Uh, This form took anywhere from one to two hours to complete and basically walked through every facet of a person's life. When it was complete, uh, we created what was called an ITP or an individualized treatment plan, which contained the following elements. So it contained the official diagnosis for the person. It contained a statement of the main problem that brought the client in for treatment. It listed strengths and weaknesses, so strengths were the things that the client had going for them, things that could be leveraged to aid in the treatment process. Weaknesses were things that were not helpful or things that could actually get in the way of treatment. Next was a set of goals, so there would be long-term goals, medium-range goals, and short-term goals. And then under the goals, uh, you would have a list of action steps to help reach the goal. Uh, These were actually things that the client could accomplish, and there was a phrase that we used to use uh, when we created action steps, and we would say, who will do what by when. Uh, This ensured that the client understood that they would be accomplishing X, Y, or Z uh, by a specific date. So the treatment plans were very transparent, right? They were created by the clinician and the client together. Uh, They were agreed upon prior to starting regular sessions. And it really helped to drive the counseling process from that day forward. It kept you on track and it helped you track the progress or lack thereof. So apparently Satan has seen this concept, he likes it, and he decided to take it to the next level for his own purposes. So he and his damaging demons followed a similar pattern for each and every human being. They complete a PSA, a psychosocial assessment, in order to do a full workup on each of us. to to get a full understanding of what makes each of us tick. And then next, they create a personal treatment plan, or what we'll call a PTP, um, for each person. Now, these PTPs have the following elements, similar to the uh, treatment plans that I just talked about. Each PTP has an official diagnosis, and this is most likely an overall classification of some sort that helps them identify us in our life situation. Next, I would suggest that there's a vulnerability quotient. So maybe on a scale from 1 to 10, um, how likely is it that, uh, that we will fall for general temptations? 
Next, uh, a list of weaknesses. So a list of the soft spots in our lives where we're the weakest and, and most easily led into temptation. A list of strengths. So these are areas that uh, where we appear to be stronger and might be able to resist, resist uh, certain temptations. Next, um, our defense mechanism of choice. So for those of you in the mental health field, you'll recognize things like denial, repression, projection, displacement, regression, rationalization, sublimation, reaction formation, compartmentalization, intellectualization, things like that. So those are defense mechanisms that people use. And I'm sure uh, Satan and his demons are very aware of of the way that we respond to things. Next, our go-to emotion. So do we jump to fear, anger, sadness, joy, disgust? Um, Anchor events from the past. Satan knows every event that has happened in a person's life, and especially the ones that can be called upon uh, to impact the present or the future. You know, big things like uh, being physically or verbally or sexually abused, uh, losing a loved one, uh, being given up for adoption being left by a spouse, uh, etc. Next, family history. So family history is important in a couple ways. First of all, there's the genetic history. So DNA traits that have been passed down from family member to family member. And then modeled family history. So things that, that you grew up with in your, in your family, things that you saw and were taught, things like being raised by racist parents or witnessing addictive behavior firsthand, Uh, being taught that materialism is an important piece of of life, things like that. Next are the goals. So let's start with long-term goals. Um, You know, this is typically the same for every person, right? Satan and his demons have a long-term goal to get each person to choose against God in the controversy. So either by choosing Satan directly and the things he is offering, or by getting so distracted by the things of this world that the person is really choosing not to choose and really misses out on the antidote to this virus. Next, medium range goals. So this is a little bit more individualized, but still very specific to each person. So we're back to the three things we talked about above, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So these you could categorize as... um, you know, the, the three words that we talked about earlier, so that you could talk about these as physical temptations, worship temptations, or trust temptations. And they fit very well into the, the medium range uh, goals, which we talked about. And then finally, the short-term goals with direct action items with the formula, who will do what by when. So for example, Satan will work to disrupt the relationship between John and his wife before Christmas. Demon Z will continue to present Sarah with opportunities in her friend group to try heroin in the next six months. Or Demon X and Y will tag team Frank in order to remind him three times a week about his many failures with alcohol in an attempt to get him to start drinking again in three months. Very specific, right? So for those of us in the mental health field or in the medical fields like physical therapy or occupational therapy, you know, this is something that we understand. We are required to have treatment plans in place for many reasons, but two of the biggest are, one, to hold us accountable to the patient or the client and to the insurance companies. So the burden of proof is really on us that we actually have a plan and that we're putting it into place and that we're making progress. 
But second, having a treatment plan is also good for us, right? Imagine what it would be like to see 10 to 15 people every single day. And as the next person walks in, you have to pull up in your mind the next thing that you're supposed to work on with that person. It wouldn't be long before you'd forget what that next thing is. Or maybe you're wrong and actually work with them on the wrong things. So having a treatment plan makes sure that we know who we're working with and what we're working on and what is left to do. Now, for those of you not in these fields, the concept of a treatment plan might be new. So when I talked about Satan and his demons actually creating a plan specific to you in your life, you may have laughed and thought, wow, this guy has lost his marbles. Ain't nobody got much that much time on their hands. But unfortunately, that's exactly the case. Satan and his demonic host have nothing better to do with their time. In fact, it's their destiny. It's the only thing they have left since they lost the perfection of heaven. And if you think treatment plans are good for human use, you don't even want to think about the level Satan will go to in order to tempt you away from his arch enemy. Now, we don't have a lot of time to spend on PTPs in this episode. Um, we're focusing more on kind of summarizing controversy theory, but just know that PTPs Personal treatment plans are one of the key elements in conscience-driven therapy, which is really the, the follow-up book to controversy theory, meant to hurt, uh, help hurting people kind of extend this theory into practical everyday steps for growth, health, and, and well-being. And we'll talk more about that at the very end of controversy theory as we move back into um, some of our Transcend Human episodes in the future. Number three other temptation flavors. So when we talked about uh, PTPs, we're really talking about traditional micro-level spiritual warfare, right? Satan and its demons working one-on-one -on -one with people in order to tempt them away from their creator. In fact, there is another set of temptations that, that Satan has come up with um, that are extremely dangerous to us, uh, and, and these are called blanket temptations. So let's walk through uh, some of these. Ultimately, these come from the meso level of spiritual warfare. So these are things that Satan has manipulated on a uh, social or cultural level, knowing that um, by doing so, it provides quality temptation to a large number of people. So here are just a few examples. First off is food. So Satan is a genius in so many ways. Uh, if, if human scientists and medical professionals are able to research chemicals and tell us the impact they have on our bodies, think how much more Satan knows and understands. So if Satan can influence humans to try new things, to push the envelope, to slide chemicals in without people knowing in order to enhance flavor or make foods last longer, think about the ripple effect it could have on an entire society, if not the world. So, you know, think things like high, high fructose sugar, MSG, saccharin, food dyes, trans fats, and margarine, you know, and the list just goes on and on and on. Not to mention uh, the increased use of prescription medications, you know, things that are ingested um, in order to fix small uh, ailments that we face in life. You know, th the true impact of some of these prescriptions prescription medications we don't even fully understand for generations. Um, just think about the the crisis with Ritalin back in the 80s and 90s, you know, where so many kids were put on Ritalin for attention problems, only to find out later um, that, you know, Ritalin had a devastating impact on uh, many aspects of their life because of it. 
Next up, we have uh, pornography. So an, an industry that has a huge impact on men, stereotypically, uh, because they are more visual than, than women. However, you know, not that it is only applied to men, uh, as there is a huge growing number of women uh, reporting uh, an addiction to pornography as well. Uh, next up, media. And I'm not sure that there is a more intrusive industry in the world today than media. Um, I'm talking about everything from music to television, movies, uh, video games, online video content, social media, online shopping, uh, not necessarily buying um, things, shopping, but even just surfing uh, on the internet to, to find things to buy. Uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, etc., etc. You know, there are there's really two very important things uh, to understand about media. First is the content itself. So media has an amazing ability to teach, train, and unfortunately brainwash people. Uh, if you're not careful, if you're not able to critically think about what it is you're consuming, you can find yourself simply accepting everything that has been um, explained to you and, and just believing it as if it's the truth. Uh, next is media's power to take over your life. So regardless of whether the content is appropriate or inappropriate, um, media today is intrusive. It is all-consuming. Um, it is everywhere you look. It is so easily consumed on you know multiple devices. Um, and so it has the power to distract and distance you from those you love, from those who uh, care about you. And at the end of the day, it can really decrease your ability to live up to your potential. And when I say potential, I mean, you know, basically consuming more than contributing. And each person has such an amazing contribution to give back to the world that if you're not even attempting to contribute and all you're doing is consuming, then you, you're, you're failing to give the world what you were uniquely created to give. Next is productivity. So productivity is rarely seen as a bad thing, but, but productivity has a dark secret. At its core, productivity is also a distraction from living the life we were called to live. I'm not talking about being productive during your workday or when you're focused on a big project. I'm talking about living a life dedicated to productivity, right? So creating lists of things to do, never sitting still, always looking for something to add to your routine. Um, you know, getting your kids into six new activities, keeping up with the Joneses, etc., etc. It's the nonstop adrenaline-paced lifestyle that we, we think is the goal, right? The pinnacle of making it in life. But in the end, it's just a lot of uh, unhealthy items, a lot of unhealthy activities uh, that we put in place in order to create an identity, right? To, to say that we are living our best life to where we are fulfilling the American dream. And so we fill our lives with these things in, in order to feel valuable, in order to feel important. And all the while, we're, we're slowly digging our own graves, right? One pointless activity at a time. Sorry, that got a little dark there, but you know what I mean. Um, productivity is a good thing that can definitely be taken to the extreme. Next is addiction. So addiction is probably one of the most sinister blanket temptations that Satan has. In fact, he probably looks at it as the gift that keeps on giving because it's one of those unique temptations that he can kickstart 
and then he can sit back and just watch it unravel a person's life on its own. You know, maybe maybe he starts on the micro level, uh, tempting a person to do something for the first time, but then once that person is hooked, he only has to check in every now and then to see uh, how things have gone and how far they've fallen. So, you know, we all understand uh, the, the typical things that people can become addicted to, right? Drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, pornography, food, work, etc. So the big question is, what is your drug of choice? And have you gotten to the place where you've become addicted to one of them? Next up is religion. And oh my goodness, is this one subtle, right? So Satan is a master at turning good things into bad things. And he can do it in such a way that it takes a long time for us to figure out when and where it went wrong. And there is no better example uh, than the way that he has corrupted the way that we worship God. So he turned Christianity into religion. So he turned being a Jesus follower into a church attender. Uh, basically turning sincere worship into token worship. And this isn't anything new, um, but it is so pervasive in the world today. He has successfully hidden the proverbial needle in a haystack, if you will. Uh, you know, if, if he can get millions of people to worship like robots with ritualistic and legalistic practices, then he can keep them from seeing the truth that God is not about lists and legalism. He's about having a relationship with his children. And finally, Satan loves nothing more than peer pressure. And so peer pressure is a strange little thing, and it actually falls into two categories. There's observed peer pressure, and then there's blatant peer pressure. So observed peer pressure uh, falls more under the category of blanket temptations like we've been talking about. Uh, it's nothing more than a blanket temptation, really. When Satan has influenced a society or a culture or a church group or a small group of uh, family members in such a way that negative behavior is seen as okay or tolerated, it actually creates a level of peer pressure for other people in that group. So you see, you know, let's, let's look at an example of alcohol use, right? So if you see rampant alcohol use day in and day out, and it appears to be acceptable, then you're more likely to engage in the same behavior. However, if you grow up in a group where, um, you know, peer pressure is that alcohol is not good and that most people do not drink, then you will actually have positive peer pressure, observed peer pressure, uh, and you'll be more likely not to even start drinking. Next is blatant peer pressure. So this is not really a blanket temptation. Actually, this is more a unique form of micro-level spiritual warfare. Satan has, in essence, um, employed humans to do his work, right? So he uses this, um, this situation um, to have a human being carry out the temptation for him. So Satan creates the temptation, hands it off to one of us, and then we carry it to the intended victim. Now, when you think about this, uh, it should sober us up pretty quickly, right? It's, for example, it's that time that you convinced a friend to just try it one time. Uh, it's the time you told your brother to steal something as you distracted the cashier. Uh, it's the one time that you allowed your younger sister to watch an inappropriate movie with you and your friends, even though your parents asked you not to. Um, 
And this is something that is, like I said, it should really sober us up because Satan uses peer pressure in the controversy, right? And it becomes imperative that we understand the following. There are no meaningless interactions. When we interact with others, we become active agents for either God or for Satan. And this is only amplified when you think about it in terms of, you know, children and minors and the impact that we have on them. All right, number four, fighting temptation. So this is our last section, and it basically deals with how to combat temptation. And uh, we're only going to scratch the surface today. Fighting temptation is one of those uh, things that will be talked a lot about in conscience-driven therapy, like like the personal temptation plans. It's a huge element in that book. So we're not going to you know do a deep dive today. Um, we'll we'll get more into that in the future. But for today, there are uh, kind of three high-level ways that we can combat temptation. So first of all is the Word of God, right? The Bible. The Bible is the best way to combat temptation. Why? Because knowledge is power, right? That's, that's the phrase we use. Knowledge is power. And in fact, when, when you look back at the temptations of Jesus, he actually used the scripture every time he talked back to Satan. So when he was preparing his response for one of the temptations, he would say, it is written, and then he would proceed to recount the specific text that, that put Satan in his place. And if it worked for Jesus, I'm guessing that it would work for us. Number two is the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus left the earth, he explained that he was sending the comforter, or what we refer to as the Holy Spirit, to be our guide moving forward. Uh, We've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit and how he lives within our conscience. So when you hear the phrase, let your conscience be your guide, uh, you're really saying that God will be guiding you through the Holy Spirit who lives and resides in your conscience. And then number three is prayer. So prayer is our direct connection to God, right? It's that open uh, line of communication um, that we have with our creator. And it's something that that nobody can take away from us, right? It'll always be there. Uh, You can look at it this way. Uh, Let's say that you were thrown in prison and your hands and feet were bound and tape was placed over your mouth. You realize you would still be able to communicate with your creator, right? Prayer can be audible or it can be simply thought. God is able to field your requests no matter how they come in. What a powerful tool prayer is. And yet how often we forget to use it, right? In the case of temptation, it really needs to be at the top of our list. The minute we sense that we are being tempted to do something wrong, we need to open up that line of communication and ask God for the strength to stand up against Satan's temptation. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. Have you ever thought about temptation on this level? Can you see how temptations fall into the categories we talked about? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you believe that Satan is just anal retentive enough to create personal temptation plans for you? Just for you. And if so, does that scare you? Can you see the way Satan uses blanket temptations in your life? Um, Have you fought off temptation in the past? Um, Have you used any of the ways that we talked about? The Bible, the Holy Spirit, um, prayer? And finally, what's your next step this week? Um, What are some things that you can put into place to combat temptation in your life? 
And are there some blanket temptations that you've fallen into that you need to really kind of shore things up on the sides, um, put boundaries in place, and uh, and try to work through? Next week, uh, we get to move away from Satan, from his role in the controversy, and from, from his um, weapons in the controversy, which is temptation. And we begin to talk about um, our role in the controversy, the role that we play. So we'll dive into the 11th basic assumption, which is choices form habits which develop character. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this was helpful and that it's information that you can apply to your life and uh, help you to make positive changes moving forward. I hope you're enjoying the content and that you will tell others about it. Obviously, the two ways you can do that are just to let somebody know about it um, or the, the more traditional way is to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Always a good thing, helps boost um, the podcast in the ratings and helps people find it. So have a great week and until next time, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.